Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Thursday, January 23rd, 2020, I'm Gail Kay. I'm Anthony Mason. And I'm Tony DeCoppel. This is CBS's Morning News on the Go. We are waiting for another day of high-stakes drama in President Trump's impeachment trial in the Senate. Democrats are presenting their case in extraordinary detail as they argue that Mr. Trump is guilty of abusing his power and obstructing Congress. The president's lawyers are calling this trial a sham. We'll have all the details on this in just a moment, but we begin with the major new developments in China's coronavirus outbreak. Two major cities are now under lockdown as China races to contain the mysterious illness that has killed at least 17 people. Another city is shutting down all their train stations. Quarantine orders affect more than 18 million Chinese citizens. The virus has infected nearly 600 people in at least six countries, including the U.S., where a second possible case was reported overnight in Los Angeles. Ramy Innocencio is in Beijing. He left Wuhan, the epicenter of this outbreak, just before they closed off the city. Ramy, what about the one confirmed U.S. victim? Good morning. That's right. Health officials in Washington state say that man flew here to China to Wuhan province, visited and then flew back home. Now, airport screenings, those have become stronger since then. Take a look at this video because you can actually see our own CBS News team landing back in Beijing from Wuhan ourselves and then getting temperature checked by officials right off the plane. Such interesting stuff there. But critics, they're now saying that China's move to try to isolate nearly 20 million people may just be too late. Disinfection point. This was a scene inside Wuhan's international airport yesterday. Just before we boarded our flight, you could see nearly every person wearing a mask in the terminal. But today, it'll look more like a ghost town, along with the main train station. Wuhan's 11 million people are being told they can't leave, a major step in the city's and country's fight against this virus. We stress to them by having a strong action, not only they will control the outbreak in their country, but they will also minimize the chances of this outbreak spreading internationally. That follows several global health guidelines Wuhan is enacting. Doctors covered head to toe and a quarantine of ground zero we visited before leaving. It's closed and shuttered now, and there's a heavy security presence. We got out earlier to take a look, and an officer ordered, really yelled at us to leave. In the U.S., the country's first infected patient is recovering at a Washington hospital. Health officials say he's in good condition, but concerned about his contact with others. As of now, there are at least 16 uh, identified close contacts 
Local health departments started reaching out to them yesterday. Dr. George Diaz admitted him to the hospital Monday night. He spoke to our Carter Evans about how they're treating him. The robot that we're using has access to a special stethoscope, uh, which lets me listen to the patient's lungs, heart, etc., and do, a, do an exam. And the World Health Organization reconvenes today to decide whether to call this epidemic a global health emergency. But uh, looking ahead, it's unsure what really is going to happen because these are just early days yet for what could be a global crisis. Tony? Yeah, and for scale there, that city in China is about the size of New York City, where the restrictions are now taking place. Remy Innocencio for us in Beijing. Remy, thank you very much. Back here in this country, House impeachment managers accuse the president of believing he is above the law as they lay out their argument that the Senate should remove him from office. His Democratic accusers spoke for nearly nine hours yesterday at the Senate impeachment trial. They argued the president directed an effort to cheat in the 2020 election and hold up military aid to Ukraine. The president and his lawyers dismissed the Democrats' arguments, which will continue today for day two. They insist Mr. Trump has done nothing wrong and will be acquitted. Nancy Cordes is on Capitol Hill for us, where she listened to the testimony all afternoon and into the evening. Nancy, good morning. So what do we expect from day two? Good morning. Well, they have been trying to organize all of this evidence into bite-sized pieces. They'll continue again today. So categories like the firing of the U.S. ambassador or the withholding of U.S. aid to Ukraine. As these House managers try to convince the Senate that the president himself was behind an unethical scheme, though it's not clear they've changed any minds yet. The president went to extraordinary lengths to cheat in the next election. In granular detail, the seven impeachment managers laid out all the ways the president, his aides, and his lawyer sought to pressure Ukraine. The July 25th call warrants our close scrutiny. It presents significant and shocking evidence of President Trump's corrupt intent. I would like you to do us a favor, though. These words will live in infamy. They also expressed frustration about the evidence they were refused. The State Department sending a first-person cable is an extraordinary step. Would you like me to read that to you right now? I would like to read it to you right now, except I don't have it, because the State Department wouldn't provide it. But if you'd like me to read it to you, we can do something about that. It all, they argued, added up to abuse of power, warranting removal from office. His administration was quietly placing an illegal hold on critical military aid to support our friends. Democrats called the arguments masterful. This presentation was one of the most powerful court appearances that I have ever seen. Many Republicans called it repetitive. President Trump is somehow fixing to steal this next election. I think that's a crazy conspiracy theory, but really their whole case is built on that. And he came back to it over and over and over. The president's legal team took notes from a nearby table, readying its defense for later this week. We will be putting on both an affirmative case in defense of the president, but also pointing out uh, some of the errors in the case that they presented. Democrats are still pushing for testimony from new witnesses, like former National Security Advisor John Bolton. Ambassador Bolton categorized the corrupt scheme, the pressure campaign, as a, quote, drug deal. I think that Ambassador Bolton was trying to send, send us a very powerful message. 
Some Republicans say they're open to witnesses if the Bidens testify too. That trade is, is not on the table. Speaking to voters in Iowa, former Vice President Joe Biden himself rejected the idea of a witness swap, saying that his testimony would only turn the trial into political theater. Democrats have two more days for arguments, then the defense gets its shot, and clearly the president himself is paying a great deal of attention because he set a new record for tweets yesterday, 142 of them, including dozens on impeachment. His lawyers continue to insist that he will be acquitted soon, as early as next week, one week before his State of the Union address. And the timing's so interesting. He's certainly paying attention. Thank you very much, Nancy. Vice President Biden may want to avoid the impeachment trial, but he's not backing away from his feud with Bernie Sanders. Ed O'Keefe caught up with him in Des Moines, and they had, how do we describe this, Ed? Is remarkable exchange a good word? That's one way of putting it, Gail. Look, we wanted to ask the former vice president why he's feuding again with Bernie Sanders. Remember, earlier this week, Biden told us that he accepted Sanders' apology after one of his supporters called the former vice president corrupt. But within hours, both camps were out with dueling attack videos. Biden calling out, quote, Bernie's negative attacks and Sanders raising questions about Biden's previous willingness to fiddle with federal benefits. While Sanders is in Washington dealing with impeachment, Biden was out here talking to voters. So we wanted to ask him why this change in strategy. Take a look. Yesterday, you said you accepted Bernie's apology, and now you're attacking him. Why are you doing that? Go, 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 go. Why wasn't his apology enough, Mr. Vice President? Why, why attack Sanders? Why, 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 you're getting nervous, man. Just calm down. It's okay. He apologized for saying that I was corrupt. He didn't say anything about whether or not I was telling the truth about Social Security. So weird, Ed. I wasn't sure where that was going. What were you thinking? Yes. Yeah. Look, we, we we ask the candidates questions. How they respond is up to them. And clearly, in this case, Biden, a little touchy because he's sensitive to this charge that he wants to change up Social Security. Yes, as a senator in the 1990s, he was open to making changes to federal benefits to balance the budget. But now, as a presidential candidate, he says he wants to preserve and expand Social Security, in part because seniors are living longer. How exactly it would be paid for is a detail to be sorted out later. But look, with Biden and Sanders either tied or first and second here in Iowa and across the country, this is a feud that's likely to continue with 11 days until the Iowa caucus. Yeah, and every, yeah, the stakes are high. Yeah, very the stakes high. Are high. On behalf of the supremely calm Ed O'Keefe, I counted only two whys from you, Ed. <laughs> I, I counted three, but... but well, the, at first it seemed he didn't want to answer it, but then he thought about it and he turned around and he wanted to address it, so I give him credit for that. Yeah. Yep. All right, Ed O'Keefe. Don't get anxious, Ed O'Keefe. Yeah. <laughs> One of the busiest parts of downtown Seattle turned into a deadly shooting zone when several people opened fire and fled. Investigators say shots rang out Wednesday evening after an argument outside a McDonald's. One person was killed and seven others were wounded, including a nine-year-old boy. Most are expected to be okay. Police are hunting for the suspects. Nikki Batiste shows us how it all unfolded. People started screaming and running. They're throwing themselves down on the street. Terror and panic filled downtown Seattle during the busiest time of night. I heard, bah, 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 bah. I knew it wasn't fireworks. And then I started screaming. There was a dispute 
that happened in front of the McDonald's. People pulled out guns, shots rang out, people ran in various directions. Bullets sprayed into the crowds around 5 p.m., hitting at least eight people as many desperately tried to escape the gunfire. I heard a couple of pops and then I heard a series of pops, probably about a dozen. And then I looked up the street and panicked. Everybody was running and hiding. And I saw a couple of bodies down. Police cruisers and fire engines lined the streets after at least 45 units responded. <laughs> Videos show many of the victims on the ground with gunshot wounds as first responders and witnesses worked to save their lives. People were running everywhere. At least seven victims were rushed to the hospital. People on the sidewalk were shielding the crowds as a first responder treated one of the victims. I'm sick of all this violence. All of this violence. For CBS This Morning, Nikki Batiste, Seattle. We have sad news to report this morning out of Australia where three American firefighters are dead after their plane went down there as they fought that country's devastating bushfires. Those fires have burned more than 24 million acres and killed about 30 other people. It is not clear what caused the crash. Kimberly Pratt from our partners at Network 10 is at a fire command center, center in Sydney. Uh, Kim Kimberly, good morning. What do we know? Good morning, guys. Well, I'm here, as you said, at the Rural Fire Service headquarters, which is kind of like the engine room of this firefighting operation here in New South Wales. It was officials here that told us that the plane was on a firebombing mission in New South Wales near these latest destructive fires when it crashed. Now, these pictures show that exact plane, the C-130 Hercules tanker, fighting the bushfires in Northern California last summer. And this footage shows the plane, uh, a similar type of plane, sorry, in Sydney, dropping fire retardant in November. Now, these C-130s, they can carry up to 4,000 gallons of retardant and water to help contain these flames. Now, the flight tracker tells us that the plane departed from the Richmond Air Base just after noon local time, but then crashed just outside of Canberra about an hour and a half later, apparently creating quite a large fireball. Now, this has rocked these communities here. We're told his, their Colleagues are quite broken up by this as a bond has been created between the Australians and the Americans over this time. It is these strong winds and high temperatures that are fueling these fast spreading flames while nearby residents are being choked with that thick smoke. But these guys were just some of the more than 100 American firefighters that we thank for coming over here and fighting these bushfires here with us. Gail. Yeah, it's a very, very sad story over there. Thank you very much, Kimberly Pratt, reporting from Australia. We thank you. We're expecting dramatic testimony today in the Harvey Weinstein trial from actress Annabella Sciorra. The Sopranos actress is one of more than 80 women to accuse a disgraced mogul of misconduct. She says he raped her in the early 90s. Weinstein faces charges involving two other women, including rape and sexual assault. Now, he claims everything he has done was consensual. Jerika Duncan is outside the courthouse in New York City with more on this story. Jerika, how has this trial played out so far, do you think? Well, you know, this is still early in this trial, and already the defense made a motion for a mistrial. They accused the prosecution of trying to poison the jury in its opening statements by referring to Harvey Weinstein as a predatory monster. Now, the judge denied that motion, allowing for this landmark case, which spurred the Me Too movement to continue yet another day. Harvey, do you think you're going to get a fair trial today? 
Harvey Weinstein ditched his walker to enter court for opening statements. The 67-year-old's long-awaited trial will be decided by a jury of seven men and five women. They are faced with two narratives. Prosecutors presented graphic accounts from six women of Weinstein's alleged sexual attacks. Two of those accounts resulted in criminal charges. In one incident, they claim Weinstein had shown up to a woman's hotel room uninvited in his underwear. In another, they say Weinstein injected himself with erection medication before allegedly raping a woman. And in a third case, Weinstein allegedly offered a woman sex with him and his assistant, explaining, quote, this is how the industry works. But Weinstein's team counters many of those relationships were consensual or even transactional. One of Weinstein's attorneys showed the jury words used from texts, emails, and other forms of communication in court, including a note where one woman who accused Weinstein of rape described Weinstein as her casual boyfriend, texting him four years after the alleged rape, quote, I love you, I always do, but I hate feeling like a booty call. Attorney Gloria Allred, who represents three of the women who will testify in this case, says she's confident the truth will come to light in court. The defense says, well, there are two realities. There's really only one reality, and that's the reality that we're going to see as it comes out through evidence. Jerika Duncan reporting. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the CBS This Morning podcast. Be sure to subscribe to get daily podcast originals. You can watch the CBS This Morning broadcast Monday through Saturday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on your local CBS station or live on the CBS All Access app. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Stephen Colbert here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is our podcast. I'm here with my producer, Becca. Becca, what can people expect on the podcast? The extended moments, for sure. Where can people get that? On The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert, wherever you get your podcasts. I use the internet. 